Hey everyone, welcome to episode 86 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's guest is Jack Curran. Jack is a legendary black and white landscape photographer, and he's been shooting for over 40 years. Um, It was so cool to have Jack on the podcast, and uh, he just really shared his wisdom and his approaches to the craft of landscape photography. I think there's something for everyone in this week's episode. Um... Over on Patreon this week, for anyone subscribed at the $5 a month level or higher, you can listen to our amazing conversation about creating portfolios, which I thought was greatly insightful. Um, I'm actually looking forward to applying his knowledge to my own approach on my website, which I'm currently revamping. Uh, Special thanks to our Patreon supporters and podcast producers, Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin. Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, and Jason Matias. Uh, These awesome folks uh, contribute at the $20 a month level or higher over on Patreon. Uh, You too uh, can join us over there. And uh, if you want to share the word about any of your services to the landscape photography community, you too can support the podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash fstop and listen. Uh, one of the things I've been loving about uh, d- having some higher level patrons, patrons is uh, we've been doing a monthly uh, Google Hangout uh, where we just basically just talk to each other about what's going on on the podcast and in our own lives and um, really inspiring each other to get out and, and shoot better photos. So it's been a really fun journey to do that. Um, that is one of the perks you get at the $20 a month level or higher. And uh for the rest of the month of December, um, I'm having a special offer. If you subscribe at the $5 a month level or higher, you can join us on our next Google Hangout. Uh, well, thanks for your support of the podcast and enjoy the show. Jack Curran, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to F-Stop, collaborate, and listen. Awesome. I'm, I'm very excited about being on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, uh, we've been trying to make this happen for quite a long time. And, I know, uh, I know. And uh, you've, you've just been too busy um, kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all wish? Right. No, but uh, uh, first, let me just say thank you so much for all of your um, ongoing support on Patreon. That is uh, means a lot to me, and I really appreciate that. No, oh, you're you're very very welcome. You know, I, I I wish more people would jump on. Yeah, well, it's happening slowly, so just you know, maybe if you have a, uh, we could uh, have you convince them like. Like what? We'll maybe talk about that later, but uh, well, we can talk about that later. But I'd be happy to put a post out to the to the people that follow me and stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, maybe for for those uh, listening that uh, maybe have never had the pleasure of seeing your photography or uh, hearing your name, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and um, 
kind of what it is you love about this thing we call landscape photography. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. So you went the whole hour or no. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, uh, maybe don't start at like birth. So I actually started taking pictures when I was 18 years old and I am 60 now. I'll be wow. six, 61 uh, in December on the 31st. Okay. And one of the things that, one of the reasons I actually started photography was because one of my best friends got a camera and I was jealous. <laughs> I, awesome. did, I didn't actually have an interest. It was more about like, he looks cool with that. And, and man, I wish I had one of those. So I bugged my parents for like eight months before Christmas and they bought me a little Calamar 35 millimeter camera with a 50 millimeter lens. And I think I took maybe 10 pictures with it after I got it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went away to college at a small school with a work study program. And, and in that college, they had an intro to black and white photography. I just turned 19. Uh, and I got down there and there was a photographer there who had been retired and had shot for National Geographic and stuff like that and was just hiding in the Ozarks. And so so I went into and I took that first class and I took the intro to black and white and I saw that very first print come up in the developer that I had gone out and photographed via some kind of assignment I'm sure he gave us and rolled the film myself and the canister developed it and then put it in the enlarger and I'm like, wow, I could do this the rest of my life. And that was it, huh? That was it. I mean, that moment, I knew that, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that I could get bored easily, right? If I don't have something to focus on. And so, you know, I've got quite a few hobbies and I've got a few other things that I do. But that is the one thing that I instantly became passionate about. And so from that day forward, I've never stopped shooting black and white photography. I, I came, you know, I came back from college. I, I worked while I went to finished up my college after I left that school after two years. I came back and went to school here uh, in the St. Louis area and worked 30, 40 hours a week at a photo lab. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So, I mean, I was in there making, you know, uh, full-size wall murals uh, that were going into museums and stuff like that. I mean, walking around with these big rolls of paper and printing on horizontal enlargers and, and just projecting this. And so I really not only learned about the initial darkroom stuff, but also um, now I'm learning about big prints and color and everything else. And there was a photo studio next door that had three commercial photographers in it, all owned by the same company. And I kept walking over to that studio and saying, I, I got to go work there. I got to go work there. And so finally, I got the president of the company to give me a job in the photo studio as an assistant. And of course, he quickly proceeded to cut my pay in half. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think when I first started at the company, I was making like, you know, a dollar eighty-five an hour, and he cut that in half. <laughs> no, wow. he couldn't. He couldn't go below minimum wage. But anyway, so I work with these three great photographers um, for you know approximately 
I don't know, seven or eight months. And what was interesting is that I had access to the photo or to the lab next door and where we were processing all their eight by 10 and four by five film. And so what I would do is I would quit assisting them during the day. And then I would stay in the studio until two, three, four in the morning shooting my own portfolio work. And then I would run over to the lab at three in the morning and I would process it all. <laughs> two, three hours after that, I would put it on the light box and then I would fall asleep on the couch and then they would come in. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And they, and they would beat me up and they would critique it and they would just keep driving me, you know, harder and harder and harder and, and helping me. And they were great about that. So, you know, um, I, I, I learned an absolute ton from them. But throughout that whole process, um, I continued with my passionate love for black and white. Uh, I had taken some prints over to a gentleman named Bob Kohlbrenner. Um, and Bob had taught in Ansel Adams workshops for like six years. And I, and I took uh, three or four of my black and white prints. I'd had my own dark room by then, and I was printing probably for two or three years. And I took them over to his house, and he quickly proceeded to do the same thing the other photographers <laughs> did, which was beat me up. <laughs> which is funny because it's, I feel like that's like one of the best ways that you can get better as a photographer. But nowadays, so few people are willing to put their stuff out there in that way. And then equally, I feel like because of – that there's a there's a lot fewer people that are willing to actually go the extra mile to actually you know like give people some real honest true critiques. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, I think I think also people's expectations are higher that they're going to achieve greater things quicker right. instead of going going through a learning process from people who have been down that road or mastered a certain discipline or something like that. And, and, you know, there, there is definitely a, a quicker learning curve today than there was back then. There just wasn't that much information. There weren't that many people. There weren't, you know, masters readily available around you all the time uh, and people that you could do this. And now you have quick access to a lot of information right. uh, that, that can accelerate that learning curve, but it does not mean that you shouldn't put yourself out there for critique and criticism. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's cool. Like, um, I actually, um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, but like, uh, nature's photographer network kind of, kind of rebooted under, under the leadership of, um, David Kingham and, and his, and his partner, Jennifer Renwick. And they have a mm -hmm. whole critique section, which is actually pretty, um, like if you put your stuff in there and you say like, please rip it to shreds, people will absolutely rip it to shreds. <laughs> I'm never going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like that because I'm tired of people being like, oh, that, you know, very nice, good job, like pretty photo. Like I want, like I need people to be brutally honest. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't need right. people to tell me like, oh, like it's pretty nice, but like maybe do a couple of these things. Like, no, like tell me what you hate, you know? Yeah. Right. And I, w I will go to the photo clubs and I will judge their stuff. And I am one that will not hold back. You know, I, I, you know, I will actually give them free workshops just to help them get better sometimes. Right. 
You know, <laughs> it's like, I, I, I can't stand it. Yeah. I've got to get you better because otherwise I'm not coming back. <laughs> right. Like this is boring <laughs> if I don't actually apply myself. Yeah. Well, so, well you've been, yeah. you've been shooting for over 40 years now. Like I'm, I'm super right. curious, like what, what have you seen change over the years for better and for worse? Um, you know, I, I think that there's, there's a couple things that are probably better and there's a couple things that are probably worse. Uh, when, when you look at something that might be worse is now that you have, uh, you know, what is it? Probably close to 6 billion phones out there. <laughs> right. Uh, and you have digital cameras of every make, model, and shift, and you still have analog cameras, and you still have, you have so many people that are photographers now out there in the world mm -hmm. that there tends to be a lack of the, the craft of photography. Mm. And I mean the combination of the art and craft, you know, the ability to think artistically first and then be able to legitimately bring something to life through the craft of it, mm -hmm. of being able to do either, whether it's in the dark room and you're dodging and burning or post-processing. So, so I think that the fact that there's these so many people out there and they can all take very nice photographs. Are they creating artistically challenging photographs? Are they emotionally connecting photographs? Um, are they are they really using the art, um, the art of photography, to a very high level, or are they just kind of getting to a, a, a mediocre place and they're happy there? Right. You know. So and and then it becomes there's so, so go ahead. You had a question. Well, no, I was gonna kind of make an analogy. Like it's kind of like you know everyone with a pad and pencil is a is a painter, <laughs> but. You know, yeah. like you're not actually a, a, a an artist until you can actually use those tools to make an artistic, to artistically express yourself, or to make an emotional connection. I think that's partially kind of what you're trying to say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and so I think that's one of the challenging things about how far photography has come and how many people have access. You know, before it was like, you know, if 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 you were you know, a Lee Freelander and you're out there shooting 35 millimeter street photography back in the day of people shooting heroin or whatever, um, you could have a really highly connected emotional impact, but there just weren't, you know, um, uh, 250,000 of right. them. <laughs> there was one guy doing right. it. <laughs> and, and, and so now you're out there competing with, you know, everybody who has access to um, technology and tools that can provide them and, and being able to see all this plethora of images that are out there on Instagram, Facebook, you know, 500 PX anywhere in the world. Um, so the, the ability to, you know, really, you know, dynamically take a step back and internally view how you vision the world and how you can bring that vision to life through an art and a craft that's something that, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of people out there doing it well, but it's harder and harder for them to be seen. Hmm. Just because of the signal to noise ratio. Like there's just so many. 
Yeah, the signal to noise, there's so many. So, you know, it used to be that, you know, 25, 30 years ago, if you had a wonderful portfolio, you could shop it to five or six galleries and you might get picked up by two or three. Now the, the reverse is happening. There's still five or six galleries, but there's five or 600 people shopping mm-hmm. it, <laughs> you know, or more. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, and I think that's also one of the reasons that you find the the vast majority of award shows out there, because if you look at the judges and you look at, you know, who is judging from these things, they may be, you know, uh, internationally recognized judges from galleries, magazines, uh, and different places all over the world. Well, that's your opportunity to get some work in front of them and see if maybe you might get picked up or, or to your point earlier, it's a way to get critique. Right. Hopefully. I mean, I've, most of the contests I've entered so far, like there isn't a whole lot of feedback. You just get a number, you know, like, oh. Yeah, you get a which, number. I got an honor, honorable mention. Yeah. yeah, like, okay, well, tell me what would have made this, like, win, you know? Like, what what would have brought right. it to that next level, you know? Yeah, so, so and when I've entered contests, I never, I, I never enter single images. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I always enter portfolios of work, yes. you know, because I, I, I view it as being a little bit more, um, you know, um, I don't know if it's consistent with a body of work that you actually have some vision behind it, as opposed to one solo shot that just, you know, you, you, you either got lucky or it was and wonderful. Do you, do those, um, does that portfolio have like similar threads or themes or is it just, uh, or subjects? Like how do you, I've always wondered like what makes a stronger kind of, you know, way to do that. Yeah, a- absolutely. You have to have a consistent thread of some kind. Um, either, either it's a purpose, whether it be an environmental purpose it's a passion for mountains. It's a passion for trees. It's a passion for some subject matter that you feel totally connected to. And, and what I tell people, um, and, and this is really what has helped me a lot in my career, is reduction, right? So if I go back and I look at 10 years of work, um, I had to go back and I had to start reducing, 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 and then also at the same time, finding consistency of the things that I loved. And I knew that, you know, I I went to an outward bound when I was 16. So, you know, my parents knew that I needed a little (laughs) push. (laughs) So they sent me out there into the wilderness for 30 days. Well, I've always loved the outdoors ever since that day. And what has helped me is to take that passion. I extended it over, you know, 20, 30 years. Well, it took me 10 years to understand that I'm in love with mountains and trees and streams and, and those kinds of things. And then I started putting threads together around those subject matters. And then once I started putting threads together around certain subject matters and not shooting portraits and not shooting fashion anymore and not shooting, you know, um, just whatever, just fancy, the sides of buildings, stuff like that. I, I started to really focus on how to bring those things to life in a consistent, stronger, emotionally connected way. So then the thread begins to come through the images um, 
because you're getting stronger and stronger. So when you say you're pulling together threads, like, can you give me a concrete example of, of, of kind of maybe some, a common thread that you found and maybe uh, some of your images that you were able to piece together to kind of present in a more uniform way? Yeah. So, so I have a, um, a death Valley series that I've done. Um, and, what I found when I when I get to some place like this, well, first let me just say this: when I went to Death Valley the first time, probably thirty years ago, I drove there there as fast as I could. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was one hundred and fifteen degrees, and there was no way I'm stopping. And I look left and right, and I'm going, "Oh, this is ugly." Right. You know, because I'm focused on mountains. Right. So, so ten years ago, I go back to Death Valley. And, and I'm expecting to shoot these nice textured dunes in this raw morning light and, and really see what I can find from the flow and the texture and everything else. Well, I get there and it, it rains all day for three days in a row. Of course. <laughs> in Death Valley. They get an inch a year and I'm there. So, But it was the most wonderful light. And, and so what I started to pull out of this from a – from a thread was the contrast between storms and the soft textured flow of the dunes. And then what I, what I try to focus on a lot is, you know, what is the, what is the juxtaposition between the environmental conditions down below and up above? So I had dramatic skies and I had nice soft flowing light. Now it was really hard to pull contrast out of these things and stuff like that. But the thread became, you know, Death Valley light. And now it's, now I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it and I'm trying to find ways to look at the light so that I can bring out the sculpture of the terrain. And I start to approach it differently. Every morning I wake up, I go back out with a new, a new focus on sculpting and looking at the natural sculpture of the, of the terrain and then how I can get the light to kind of flow throughout the scene. And what's interesting is that the thread then becomes this, this connectivity between the dichotomy of storms and the softness of sand. Mm-hmm. And so you get this really wonderful desert light on top of these harsh um, environmental uh, situations. That makes sense. I like, yeah, I like um, contrasting like, you have something that's harsh and something that's soft. Like that's right. And like make, and then, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the, the other thing that's very nice about that is, is that it creates transitions for the eye, right? So the, the eye wants to go through a scene. And if you have say a subject matter that has kind of a, a, something fluid and white through the center of it, if it doesn't stop at the edge of the scene, the eye will just travel off the scene. So what's nice about, about transitions is when you get soft and you get hard up atop or, or more dramatic or, or um, contrasty, you can, the eye will want to stay in the scene. And so what I then do is I go back in, hear my email, email going. Um, what I then go back in and do is, um, you know, I try and make sure that I keep the edges kind of a little bit darker you know, if you've looked at the work, you'll see that I'm, I'm fairly dark in a lot of things that I do. But I will then go back 
and use transitions. So I will make sure that there's something dark in the foreground, light in the middle, dark again, then light again, and then dark. And the eye will transition top to bottom, left to right, in and out, forward to background. So I look for transitions when I'm out there in the landscape shooting, transitions in light, texture, um, contrast. Hmm. Okay. Well, it seems like maybe that's one of the reasons. I know we're going to talk a little about white, black and white uh, and shooting in black and white, but I'm wondering if that's one of the main reasons as to why you have chosen to stick with uh, black and white as your preferred uh, method of editing and shooting is like you, you have, I guess, you know, you, there's less, there's less elements that you have to worry about, you know, in terms of um, reduction, like you, you really, you know, you really just have uh, darks and, and lights and everything in between. Um, but mm -hmm. maybe tell us a little bit more about like what it is about shooting in black and white that, uh, that, has kept you doing it for so long. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I think, I think the first thing I, I love about it is it's immediately an abstraction. You know, you've already taken one step away from reality when you go from color to black and white. So you have to think about what that translation means right off the bat. Okay. I, I've immediately stepped into another dimension you know, it's not like quite like shooting infrared where it's gone to completely, uh, you know, a, a nanometer of, of uh, you know, um, some distant, you know, fairy right. tale. But it's, it's, for me, it is a different, it's a different dimension. And I really enjoy experimenting and looking in that dimension. Now, I, I like to say that I've always seen things in black and white. I, when I was a little kid, I've always noticed shadows. Mm. And, you know, I would, I remember when I was, when I first got that camera at, at uh, you know, 16, I was, um, you know, shooting just shadows and, and everybody's like, well, I'm not quite sure what you're doing. <laughs> like that, that Jack kid, he's, he's pretty special. <laughs> There's a, yeah, right. <laughs> what, what school should we send him to? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Blind staircases with curves around them. You know, it's just, I don't know how to get away from it. You know, most people see in color and, and I don't, I, I look at stuff and, I, I just immediately see shapes and patterns and colors and, and stuff like that. And maybe it's just because I've been doing it for so long, sure. you know, that, you know, I, I, it's hard to explain. It really is hard to explain. Um, but it gives me, it gives me the world to me in black and white is more interesting. Now there are guys out there that I absolutely love. You know, I've, I've gone out and I've photographed with Mark Adamus and, and his techniques and his styles are wonderful. I've, I've, I look at guys like Max Reeve and all those guys, and they do wonderful, wonderful color work. There's, there's beautiful work out there. Um, but I, I really think that for me, black and white is powerful. Hmm. You know, and especially, and I don't really do people, but when you look at people in black and white sometimes, it can be extremely um emotionally connected yeah it's interesting that way um i also heard gosh i don't remember where i heard this but um <clears throat> that uh 
in in China, um, like black and white portraits, totally totally random aside, but black and white portraits is like you don't you don't show people a black and white photo of them because I guess black and white uh, photos are reserved for like um, you know people that have already died. Oh, I have um, not heard that. Yeah, I thought that was like super interesting. Like if like cultural differences of of black and white versus color, I think that's an interesting hmm. kind of thing as well. It almost goes back to the uh, uh, American Indians and thinking their souls are going to be taken. Right. <laughs> well, anyways, so um, one of the things I was curious about was like when you're in the field, like how do you en- how do you envision scenes in black and white? Like, because I know a lot of people that shoot black and white. Um, they, you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, the I don't really like the color, so I'm going to see what it looks like in black and white. Oh, yeah, it looks better. But how yeah. do you, like, if all you shoot is black and white, how, how does that change your process for, for envisioning scenes and seeing, and seeing shots? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go backwards, and then I'm going to come forward. Okay. And I'm going to go backward because when I, when I used to shoot early on, I would take 4x5s and 8x10s out into the field, and there were no digital tools to convert color, right? So I would I would take a red filter, a yellow filter, a blue green filter, a set of filters, and I would put them over the lens. And if I wanted the sky to go dark, I'd I'd put a red or a yellow on there. If I wanted to manipulate green grass, I would you know put a green filter on there and turn it one direction. So I learned very early on how to um, to see color in black and white and how to translate that, mm. right? But the one thing that's really important in black and white is, is, uh, okay, so now let me go forward. Let me go forward okay. real quick. So here's my process when I go out now. Um, I'll, I'll hike for miles. I have my backpack. And what I do is I have a little square viewer that I have that I use that it's kind of formatted the same format. Uh, as really a four by five, because I've had this thing for about 30 years. And I take that and then I have a little Rattan um, black and white conversion filter, which looks like a deep, dark amber filter. I'm sorry, it's a, it's a Tiffin. Uh, so it's a really amber filter. And what I will do is I will put my backpack down and I won't get my camera out. I will walk around a scene for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I will look at it. I will look at the light. I will look at compositions. I will constantly frame with my little viewer. Now, of course, if you pull the viewer closer to your eye, it's wide angle. And if you push it farther away, it's a telephoto. (laughs) (laughs) Really technical stuff. (laughs) You know, some, some people could do this a little differently and they could walk around with their their live view on and just walk around with the camera. Well, you, it's kind of a pain in the ass to change to a 100 to 400 to a 28 or 24 to 105. So my viewer is about a hundred times quicker, believe it or not. I believe that. And so what I do with that viewer is then I will take that, that um, Tiffin filter and I already have a pretty good idea what's going on, but when I put that up to my eye, and then even if I use it within the context of the framer, I will then be able to look at where the highlights are and how they're flowing around subjects. I can see if there's, um, you know, luminance 
on a subject or whether it's, you know, just kind of a flat light. And I can start seeing how the light flows across the scene. And I may move around a scene or something that I think I see for 20, 30 minutes before I even get my tripod and camera out and start looking at it. And so now I've looked at, does it have shape? Are there things in there that the light is flowing around? Is the light giving me what I talked about a little bit earlier? Is there transitions? Can I get dark light, dark light? Can I get something coming from the upper left to the lower right? Can I, is, can I move things around in the frame? Where is the light coming from? What is the direction? And then I think about how that translates in black and white. Um, you know, for instance, I, I did a shot in uh, Death Valley one time that was at that, um, uh, you know, one of the very textured, iconic views of, I uh, can't remember the name of that, Zabrinsky Point. Yeah, yeah. And, and there were these wonderful clouds across the top, but then the bottom had so much texture and so many different lines and everything going everywhere, I wasn't sure that it was going to work. Um, let me just take a quick sidebar real quick because some guy comes up to me with a Samsung eye, you know, camera phone and he goes, <laughs> you should have been here 30 minutes ago. And he shows me this shot of this awesome <laughs> uh, rainbow going through these blue skies with this red sky. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to go walk over there and I start seeing things in black and white. I'm like. I told the guy, I said, you should go sell that for a gazillion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so back to my black and white and, and how I approach it. So I look for, you know, how can the light and what is the light doing from texture? So when I look, I don't really see the color compositions. If I see blue, I know that I can make that sky go a little darker and it's a little bit more dramatic. Mm -hmm. if, if I see warm yellow and and different kinds of colors in the foreground, I know I can contrast that against the, the dark blue sky. I can make that light or I can really work the texture. Um, so I will approach it, but really the, the most important thing and the reason I walk around with that viewer for so long is if I can't find a right composition, I won't take the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? I feel like that's really hard for a lot of people, especially if, if it's a... If it's somewhere you've traveled a long way or the lights, you know, sometimes it's like the light isn't always the only thing that's important. You still need a good composition to go with that really great light. Yeah. If you don't have a composition, I mean, you can shoot light all day long and it, it really doesn't connect very well. Right. Well, I, that, trust me, just go look at all my photos. You'll see a lot of that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I have one of yours somewhere. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, how is how is it that you feel like black and white landscape is still a viable art form in this in the current digital age? Because um, a lot of the people I've talked to have said that it's kind of a dying, a dying thing. How, what what has your experience been? So, so my experience has actually been fairly good. Now, I won't I won't disagree with them if you think about what is dying compared to twenty years ago or thirty years ago. You know, you had the early masters and, and their work still commands quite a bit of, um, you know, dollars for value. And, and then what I'm finding is that I think there's a, a slight resurgence 
but then it's it's not quite as well understood. Hmm. There's there's so many different genres of photography out there and black and white photography and and everything else that's going on that black and white landscape has fallen into a very um, a smaller niche. Mm-hmm. You know, and and what I see is there's you know I'm sure there's more than I know, but there's probably forty or fifty really good guys out there shooting it. Yeah. Uh, and that's a not a big number when you consider everybody that's a photographer these days. Right. No, if I'm thinking like just on the people I follow on Instagram, there's maybe three or four that I can think right. of. Right. Right. There's yeah. there's three or four and there's I probably follow fifteen or twenty and and you know, there's just not very many. Now I, I have had it was interesting that I, I was talking to a gallery out in California about eight or 10 years ago. And I was asking the, uh, the gallery owner to kind of give me some feedback. And she goes, well, where have you been? (laughs) Where have you been? I said, well, I've, I've been here. I've just haven't marketed or promoted myself very well. I've been here. She goes, Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you're like, so she wanted you to like get in a time machine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's just like, well, she goes, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard market. It's a really hard market. There's, you know, there's the Mitch DeBrowner who's doing some fantastic work and Cole Thompson. And, and there's, you know, um, I believe, uh, you know, there's quite a few guys that out there that are doing some really, really wonderful work. Um, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's not collected nearly as much as it used to be. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very hard. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming, uh, you know, kind of a segue to that. Uh, I would assume that since you've been shooting for so long and, and you're, and you're doing a lot of black and white work, uh, that, that your, that your approach to editing is also probably more on the classical side of things versus like the kind of free for all, anything goes manipulate the bejesus out of it. Uh, Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I, I do not manipulate it very much at all. Um, I actually consider myself old school with new tools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I spent 30 years in the dark room and I had boards with holes in them and, you know, paddles or, or pieces of circles on wires. And I dodged and burned and rubbed the heck out of this and I developed that and I flashed this and flashed that. Well, now, you know, something that, took me two weeks in writing down handwritten notes and practice, practice, practice on silver prints is something that, you know, I might take four or five hours on and then walk away and come back. But I can use the digital tools now that almost nearly the same way. I work primarily in Lightroom. Uh, I'm not a Photoshop guy that works in 25 different layers. I, I am very classical apply, applying a classical approach to, um, you know, the digital realm. Yeah. Well, do, is that more of a, I guess, is that a conscious decision that you've made or is it just something you've stuck to because it's what you know and you like, or is there something about a heavy manipulation or editing style that um, is displeasing to you? 
Well, I wouldn't say there's something displeasing as long as, as long as people understand what it is and where it came from. The thing that would bother me is if, if an image is heavily manipulated and it's representative of a place, especially in landscape, a place or a location, and then the next guy assumes that he can go there and shoot something similar, but it doesn't exist. And why, why does that matter to you? Because I've, you know, obviously you've heard that come up on the podcast before, but I've, what I've found is mm, there's a lot of people that don't think that matters, but why does that matter to you? It, it, it only matters to me because I expect to, um, to be able to have a certain sense of reality when I'm there. Not, not necessarily in the post-production or, you know, if somebody wants to tell me how they created it and I would like to create something similar, I, again, I think that's fine. But if I get to a place or I've gone to a place where I think it's really, um, I, you know, some place that I'm passionately interested in and it, that, that extra mountain in the shot didn't exist, I might be a little upset that it wasn't there especially if I wasn't aware of it, right? Or, or if the river bent a different direction. Right. <laughs> so for, for me, it's, it's more um, ideological than anything. And again, I don't have a problem with people changing or manipulating things as long as I'm aware of it and I know, and I know it's been changed. So I, I, there's lots of images I, that are out there that I enjoy. And there's some that have pushed it into a very artistic realm that I think are wonderful. Sure. You know, I, I would even buy those images just because they make me feel good as long as I know kind of the process and the intent. Mm -hmm. But when people go in and, and, you know, change a scene to the point where um, it's totally different from the reality and then it's not really, I'm not aware of that, that eh, kind of bothers me. Yeah, and part of me, I think, um, I feel like this only happens to me personally when it's a place that I've been to or a, or a place that I want to go to, and then I find out mm -hmm. that it's not. Um, because it's like, if it's a place that I've been to and I have a personal connection to it, and like you said, like, oh, the mountain is looks way, um, I don't know, pointier than it should or... <laughs> yeah. or or, or, or they've added a one. Yeah, or they've completely <laughs> added one or whatever. Like, um, yeah. It's like this thing happens in my brain where I all of a sudden become super disconnected with the image because it, it's like a violation of what I remember about that place. Mm -hmm. And then like I can't reconcile um, those, those two thoughts at the same time. So, of course, like having been to that place, my, my brain automatically rejects the photograph as being like bad, I guess is the, the easiest word to use. Not the, you know, the photo is bad, but that, that it's rejecting it because it's, it's somehow in violation of, of something that's going on, going on inside of my brain. I don't know. That's the, only way, right. that's the best way I've explained it to people, you know, but you know, so here's the thing is, is I'm in, I'm in a little bit the same vein. And again, if, if somebody is doing it to create something new and unique and it's known that it's new and unique, like if they're using a completely different process or they want to add 10 mountains and it's obvious that it's a change, but it's really cool the way they did it and they're pushing it as a different vision of something, let them go. Totally. Let them go. Totally. Totally let them go. 
and and take it to a gallery and see how they react and if they love it and there's consumers love it and people who are looking at it enjoy it more power to you um you know for me if if people were in my genre and they were shooting black and white landscapes and they were heavily manipulating those and then and then trying to you know present that as you know the existing landscape or something like that i would have a, a problem with it hmm. you know I was um, I was um, in a little uh, session with some people not too terribly long ago, and people were uh, doing layers in Photoshop and painting in different skies and all this other stuff, and it it just kind of made me feel a little wonky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just it made me feel really wonky. Now, <laughs> you know. Um, at the same time, there was about four of those guys sitting over my shoulder wanting to learn how I did what I did without doing that. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, they're like, you know, there was a, a photographer that came to one of my Iceland shows, and he is represented by one of the top galleries in New York, and I very much respect and love him. And he's standing in front of two or three of my black and white prints, and he does these 50 by 60 prints of Puerto Rico and and all these different places that are in Cuba that are just gorgeous. And he's standing there and he's like, how do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've known him for 25 or 30 years. <laughs> and we both used to do black and white together. And he's moved on to bigger fine art things with color. Um, but he's just like, I don't know how you get this out of your black and white. And I'm like, well, very, very slowly. And you said you're primarily using Lightroom, so <clears throat> yeah. So you're what what tools are you using in Lightroom to edit your um, black and white images? Well, prim primarily, if you go into the develop module, I spend a a fair amount of time with the radial tool and the adjustment brushes. Uh huh. Okay. Right. So I will I will sit there and I will work those for. Um, I don't know, plenty of time, hours sometimes, you know. <laughs> but then again, I, I tend to go in there and approach it in Lightroom in such a way that, you know, if I'm looking at something, I will go in and I will, I will take a file, you know, and I will take it and I, I shoot in color for the original file and then I convert to black and white. And what I will do is I will open that file up as far as it'll go so that I see every bit of shadow detail. Then I will close that same file down as far as I can to where it's nearly black and I will slowly open it up so I see what the highlights are doing. So mm -hmm. now I know where my tonal range is from you know, the highlights and what the detail is in the highlights to the shadows. And then I will go in and I will start working it. I don't do any real um, sharpening or anything like that until the very end. But I will start using radial filters and I will start opening up areas, but I'll start dark and start lightening from there generally, unless it's a wide open snow shot or something that's already light. Um, but for my work, I will go in and I will build and layer upon layer or brush upon brush slowly build. And, and so it's just the same way I did it in the dark room. You know, one is a, a burn tool and the other is a dodge tool. The nice thing about this now is I also have the sliders that I can go in and I can manipulate it with the, you know, the blue or the red to help me a little bit 
uh, in that burning and dodging process to make a blue sky darker or a water lighter or whatever with the sliders just to get started. And then I will go in there and I will build, build, build and, and look for the range of light. So for me, it's all about creating flow in the scene and those transitions I mentioned before and how the light reacts to the subject, where it's coming from, uh, and, and what it's, what it's doing to bring it alive. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I feel like people, you know, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat and I feel like, you know, you could do all that same stuff in light in Photoshop using layers and stuff like that, but it's just a different tool. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I get people that call me all the time and say, Hey, can I, can I do the same thing? I said, absolutely. You can do the exact same thing in Photoshop. It's a little more complicated than what I do. Um, you can definitely do it in layers or you can just use dodging and burning. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it takes time and practice and you have to keep going back and adjusting brushes where I can just scroll them up and down in size while I'm doing it. Right, right, right. So yeah, no, I, I originally started editing in, in Lightroom myself and, and I don't know, like I feel like there's just a few things I couldn't do in Lightroom that I wanted to do. And so um, I switched over. I feel like probably 90% of what I do is in Photoshop now, but I sure. kind of understand how to do it in both systems for the most part. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just not, just not well. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're always learning, right? If we weren't learning, there'd be a problem. Absolutely. Um, you know? <laughs> well, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you was um, having having kind of tr uh, transitioned from analog to digital. Like, what are some of the things you've kept um, from your from your analog workflow that you still use in your digital workflow? Hmm. And that could be anywhere from like your approach to actually shooting to actually developing the photo in post. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting. I'm not sure. How to answer that question? Uh, you know, as as much as I think about it, um, I expose differently now than I did twenty five or thirty years ago. And I, you know, what I'm not sure that if I, I would say say this. First of all, it's a little challenging to answer because my vision has changed over thirty years. Sure. Right? I don't. Gosh, I hope mine does too. I, I don't see the same things I saw. 30 years ago. So when I was taking a four by five or an eight by 10 out in the field and exposing, you know, I would shoot with a, a four by five Polaroid and you could almost pretend that's a live view on a digital camera now, right? Cause you're ripping open the Polaroid before you're shooting film. It's almost the same as a live view and you're critiquing that in the field. And so now you mm. have live view on your camera. And, and so that, you know, I would get my exposure and everything all dialed in on a Polaroid and then I would actually go and, you know, shoot with the film. So I didn't waste a lot of film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's a similarity, but the, the other thing is, is that I, that I shoot differently than I did then. My vision has changed. I've actually gotten, uh, you know, maybe in the last year I've gotten decent. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm getting better every day and I'm older than dirt. <laughs> so it's like, I, I still feel that same way about growing in my photography. So back to the analog um, versus the digital. Um, I, 
I still carry over that that perception of understanding the what colors do in black and white from using the filter sets that I use, the reds, the blues, the yellows, you know, greens, whatever I might have used back then, to how I approach the sliders in the digital, you know, whether you're working in camera raw and using them in camera raw when you convert to black and white or you're using them in Lightroom to convert, I still treat those filters to help me, you know, um, with that same process. And I still think about that the same way when I was shooting analog. Mm -hmm. The other thing I still carry over, of course, is, is how I see light. I still carry that over to today. What is nice, though, is sometimes I can get to a scene and it could be four in the morning and I can crank the ISO up and I can actually see what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so before I would have had to wait until the first of light showed up and, and it got to be 530 or six before I could see what was in front of me. Well, now I can crank the ISO up and just look through the camera and I can actually start focusing it, you know, at five in the morning. Right. So I can start looking at scenes and, and doing all of that. So there's some technology things that are just wonderful. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it's interesting that I, I shoot a lot with uh, mid to long range lenses. Um, before, I think I shot a lot with more um, medium to wide angle lenses. And now I've, mm -hmm. I, I really like to draw a scene in versus doing those expansive, you know, long sweeping foregrounds with the mountains a hundred miles away, which are really yeah. a, a mile and a half. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I, I feel like I've, I've kind of transitioned that way in the last two years myself. I used to shoot like probably 80% of my shots were 14 to 24 millimeter. And I feel like um, now it's probably, probably 10% is wide angle and the rest is mid zoom to, to, uh, to telephoto and, you know, up to 300. But um one thing I have started doing that I've that I kind of like doing, I just it's hard to find scenes where this works. But um, if you can find like a really really interesting subject mm -hmm. that like um, normally would have been um, like a foreground subject in a wide angle shot, you know, to make mm -hmm. it like really big, right? Um, make like scoot back and make that more of your kind of um, main subject but you still shoot it with a wide angle and then use your foreground to like, uh, to, to just use it for like leading lines or for texture or sure. for that contrast. I've, like that, that's, I've shifted using wide angle differently over the last couple of years, which is, um, I don't know. It's fun to kind of see like, Oh, like wide angle isn't just all about making your, your foreground look really huge and awesome, you know? Right. Like, right. There's more you can do with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a purpose. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not just your focal point. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, it's funny. Like it takes a long time to, to learn how you can use the different focal lengths to do different stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's no question about it. You know, when I, when I talk to, um, younger students, and they'll want to come and they'll want to want me to help them kind of figure out, you know, well, well how do I know what I'm going to like or what is it that I, I, you know, I'm like, okay, that's loaded, <laughs> loaded question, right? You know, it, you know, finding your passion to me, again, I go back to that thing I said very early on, it's about reduction, right? 
It's about not shooting everything that walks that you walk in front of, <laughs> you know, it's not shooting the everything that's out there. It's about reducing it. But one thing that I do tell people is I, you know, I recommend you get, you know, one camera, shoot at one ISO, shoot with one lens and shoot the same subject for a hundred days, every which way you can process it every which way you can get to know your camera, get to know the subject, get to know everything that you can do with it. And you will learn so much technically that by the end of the process, you're starting to get more creative every day because you've got bored shitless <laughs> <laughs> after 30 days and you really had to push it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, kind of the flip side of that, which is similar, but different that I think also um, helps you grow as a photographer is like purposely, um, you know, implementing creative constraints. Mm -hmm. So like, like, I, I don't know. I, I think it's fun to like only take one lens or like right. one focal length with you on a trip yeah. and like force yourself to use just that one lens for the entire time. Like it's amazing how you start seeing scenes differently and like you start um, your compositions come like totally transform. And like, you, yeah, I don't know, like it's one of the best self-teaching tools especially for composition it's like constrain the tools you can use i would consider that the same as reduction almost yeah absolutely yeah, yeah right you're just taking less and less you're taking things away and yeah. and your vision i think can sometimes get stronger yeah i agree so i mean that is a challenge yeah well i've only got um two more questions for you uh, the first question is, um, what advice would you have for other photographers um, that, that might be um, uh, kind of more interested in learning from your your wisdom? <laughs> Since you have 40 plus years of wisdom that you've got to drop on us. Um, feel free to email me. I'd be happy to answer questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that could be a can of worms. but It could um, be. Yeah, my, my advice for those guys, you know, if they want to go into the black and white landscape genre, study the old guys all the way to the new guys, you know. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got Cole Thompson and you've got Bob Colbrenner, who's an old guy, and you've got, you know, um, guys out there doing really different, different work. And Michael Kenna's who, who will do not just landscape, but he'll do – you know, really interesting views of Brazil or architectural things, but he still does a ton of landscape, you know, and if you, and, and he does really small eight by eight prints and, and everybody has a different approach and a vision. And, and the most important thing for you is to hone in on what makes you happy and, and expressing your own vision, especially if you're going to focus in the landscape, um, you know, space. Yeah. Yeah, that can be that can be tough in this this era of uh, social media and competing for likes. But I think if you're wanting to play the long game, I think it's absolutely critical that you stick to what you like yourself. Yeah, and I think they also have to have the expectation that they're not going to make a lot of money. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> I man! In <mean>, <laughs> all seriousness, I mean, you can you know you make a little money from print sales and you 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 do okay there. And then you do, 
you do, you know, you might do a tutorial and you do okay there. It's like ding, 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 ding. And those are wonderful. But if you're in the fine art realm versus the commercial realm, it's a slower process. It really is because you have to get out there. You have to build awareness. People have to learn about you and it takes time. You have to be validated by, you know, the art community and galleries and everything else. And it just takes time. You what know? is what is that process? Or what has that process looked like for you? Like what have been some of the more important things that you've done to promote yourself in that way? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've, I've been in a lot of different gallery shows, you know, I was very fortunate that some of the um, international competitions I won led to gallery exhibitions in Italy and Germany and Paris and Tokyo and, and different places. And, you know, I've used that to build awareness, right? And that gives you awareness enough to where you can go to more established galleries and be represented. Now, I'm also finding that paying 50% of everything you make is, is a little bit of a drag. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, so you go out there and you travel the world and you shoot like crazy and then you sell a print and somebody else takes half of it. And it, it's a challenge. Um so I've been self-promoting more so lately than anything else, and it's been much more successful, at least financially. Yeah, like what what methods are you using for self-promotion? Well, I, I'm very fortunate that I have, you know, 100,000 followers on Facebook, and I have quite a few on Instagram and some other places. Um, but I also do things in Black and White Magazine and other places um, that have been pretty successful. Nice. And I've got, I've got this video tutorial out now that, that you know, shows my process and, and that's helped. And then people will look at that and then they'll buy some fine art prints as well. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely um, put a link up to that video tutorial. Like what kind of stuff do you cover in that? So there's, there's eight chapters and the first chapter is really about, um, you know, how I approach it. You know, even talking to the level of showing my little viewer and my black and white filter. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and most people think I'm nuts, but that's what I do. Um, and then I go through eight chapters and I, and I talk about, um, you know, my approach to the vision of black and white photography. And then I go through, um, you know, conversion from, from raw to black and white. And then I go through the building of the preliminary file and and I go through it in such a way that I take people through all eight chapters very diligently you know four five and six are the meat of the the chapters where I do the conversion process then I get into the first round of you know 20 30 minutes of converting and using all the you know um, develop module tools and then I walk away I don't look at the image for a few days and then I come back and I fine-tune it to where I think it's a master print file you know and then i go in and i talk a little bit about printing i don't want to get into a deep tutorial about printing because it's really about you know how i bring my vision to life um in black and white and so then i talk a little bit about printing and then there's just a quick recap at the end nice well cool yeah. we'll definitely put a link in that in the liner notes so that if people are interested in learning more from you yeah. they can check that out um so my final question for you is, uh, who do you think would be awesome to have on the podcast? Well, if, if Cole Thompson will come on, <laughs> <laughs> and I say if, because, you know, as you meant, as we talked about 
you know, before the podcast, he, he, he kind of doesn't really get out there and uh, look at other people's work. And I just think it's really interesting. Um, Cole and I went up and uh, I, I stopped by his house not too long ago and we had a beverage and, and uh, went down in his studio and gallery and, and his work is just amazing. And his approach is clean and simple and powerful. That's cool. Yeah, he does I, it. He does it without interference. I love. I think that's super interesting. Like, um, yeah, I feel like you could go either way in in regards to your approach to that because I've got. I've definitely gotten a lot of really good ideas from looking at other people's work, but I could totally see how um, if you completely. I don't know. It'd be really cool to talk to him about how that's helped him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, to, to have a, you know, it's, 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 to me, it's a little bit like a painter who has um, uh, a concept and a vision without, without looking at other painters. So he's really, he's really done a fantastic job. Yeah. And, and, and if you get there, look at his Holocaust series. It's, it's really wonderful. Cool. Well, we'll definitely have links to that as well. So, um, well, I'm going to hear one more. Actually, I had one more question. <laughs> that way, <laughs> I'm going to come out, let you plug, uh, plug this. So, you've been supporting the podcast pretty much from the beginning on Patreon. And, and I want to hear straight from, straight from you like, why do you support the podcast and why should other people support the podcast on Patreon? Well, I, I think it's important that there's a conversation, right? And I don't know where, you know, there's a lot of people going out there and having really in-depth conversations that are meaningful. I mean, I see lots of, you know, blogs and stuff like that, and I think they're doing a pretty good job. But what, what I really enjoy about, about your podcast is you take a long time, you ask some penetrating questions, and you're approaching a broad reach of photographers in the same genre. You're, you're not just staying in, in one thing. And you're not also so diverse that you're, you've got portraiture, you've got you know right. um, landscape, you've got architecture, you've got all these other things. So that for all of us that are in the landscape field, this is a, a great resource to come and get some focus. So that's, that's my point. Well, I appreciate it, man. I, you know, it's, um, it's definitely something I love doing and I love hearing what people like about it. So, um, I super appreciate, uh, your support and for taking the time to tell other people why they should. <laughs> I love doing it. Love doing well, it. Well, man, this has been really fun and I, Gosh, I feel like I learned a ton, especially about creating portfolios, which I'm going to selfishly reserve for Patreons because <laughs> I, I feel like there's some really great tidbits in there. So if you want to learn how to really fine tune your, your portfolio of images, check that out on Patreon. Um, yeah. Where, where, how can people uh, find out about you? Well, they can they can go to my website at jackkernphotography.com. That seems easy enough. You know. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a link there for Facebook or Instagram or whatever else. Or if they want to email me a question, feel free. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, it's been a real pleasure. I appreciate it a lot. Wonderful, Matt. Have a great evening. 
Well, thanks to Jack for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast. I hope that you learned as much as I did. Uh, be sure to check out his fantastic insight on creating an image portfolio over on Patreon. I personally learned a lot from that conversation, and I'm actually in the process of applying uh, his advice to my own work. So check that out. Um, if you want to uh, subscribe uh, and support the podcast on Patreon, just go over to patreon.com slash f-stop and listen. Even a dollar a month um, helps. Um, I want to thank all the people who are supporting us over on Patreon. And uh, I'm actually really excited for something that we've implemented uh, for people that are supporting the podcast at the $20 a month level and higher. We're doing a uh, monthly Google Hangout where we just talk to each other about what's going on in our photography lives. And uh, it's been really fun and inspirational um, to learn what people are doing. And honestly, like it's one of the funnest things that I'm doing in relation to the podcast. And I'm hoping to get more people involved in that and interested in that. So uh, for the rest of the month of December, I'm actually offering a special offer on Patreon. If you uh, subscribe at the $5 a month level or higher, um, we'll include you in that next Google Hangout in January. Um, I'm also hoping for a few more reviews over on iTunes. It really does help the show. So um, if you have a few seconds, just uh, type out a review over there. Um, it, it does help a lot. Um, also, I'm looking for a little bit of help uh, on social media. So, um, I'm, I'm trying to find some people that are really involved on Reddit to help um, kind of promote the podcast on our subreddit. We actually do have a subreddit for the podcast. Um, and, uh, I'm looking for some people to help out with that and, uh, any, any other help I can get, um, on the podcast that's not financial in terms of, uh, promoting the show on social media and things like that. That's another way that you can help, help the show out. Well, I hope you had, uh, enjoyed this episode and, uh, I'm hoping you have a, a, a great holiday season. Um, you can follow me over on social media at Matt Payne photo or Matt Payne photography. You can also check us out on our Facebook group for the podcast uh, where people can ask questions for upcoming guests. And um, there's a lot of conversations that happen over there kind of relating to the topics we discuss on the podcast. So it's it's a lot of fun. So check it out. And uh, yep, just thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Take care.